Hey everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is October 30th, 2014. It's time for another episode of Recording Lounge. I appreciate you joining us, and as always, just wanted to say again, thank you for all your questions on email and support and uh, kind words. Uh, you guys, uh, I wouldn't keep doing this if I didn't get feedback from you guys that you like the show and that you want more. I appreciate all the people who have signed up for the mailing list, which again is totally free. Um, you don't, I mean, I don't spam you. I really only send out messages when I have new shows and every now and then when I've got some different ideas worth sharing. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't send emails every day. I don't really even send emails every week. I just do it every now and then. Uh, again, to sign up for that, it's recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up. So today we have a show about recording vocals. Now, it's sort of going to be an odd show because we're not even going to really have any vocal recordings necessarily. The point is more to talk about the theory of recording vocals because there's lots of ways that you as the engineer can influence how the vocalist actually performs. And there are many ways that um, you can actually hinder their performance. And so I, I think there are a lot of factors worth discussing. And uh, the first we're going to talk about logically in, in the order is setup. So let's get to it. If you really want to get the best vocal tracks possible, a big part of it is making sure that the singer is comfortable. They're comfortable in the room, they're comfortable with the temperature, they're comfortable with their voice, they feel good, they're comfortable with the smell of the room, I mean just everything, the lighting, I mean they need to be comfortable, they need to feel like it's a safe place to sing because they're bearing their soul. Temperature, lighting, just the mood in the room, how does it feel when you're in the room? I mean is it comfortable? And um, humidity in a room is something that can actually very easily dry out a vocalist's voice. If the humidity is below about 40%, 45%, it can start to dry out the vocalist's voice. If anything, it should be, you know, 45 to 55. That's sort of the sweet spot for instruments and for vocalists. I suggest you get a hygrometer, which is a humidity meter basically and they're like twenty dollars you know for a decent one from Accurite and it'll tell you the temperature in the room and it'll tell you the humidity level and that's if you're if you own any instruments whatsoever um, you know like guitars even electric guitars drums basses violins acoustic guitars fiddles anything you really should be aware of the humidity in your room um, having enough you know like I said the 45 to 55 range will keep your instruments and voices happy and healthy for a long, long time. Um, these are things that, for example, you need to ask yourself, do you know, you know, any uh, anything about their personal preference on, you know, would they like to sing standing up? Do they like to sing sitting? Do they like, to, do they like a dim room? Do they like a well-lit room? Do they have lyrics that they need to see while they're singing? There's lots of factors that you should try to be aware of. Because what I'm leading up to is all this setup should be done before they even get there. It really should, so that when they walk in, they can, you know, chat for a few minutes and then get ready to go. Um, one thing I actually have done in the past is have a quick little, you know, one-hour session with the vocalist. Usually I put it at the end of a previous session and get all this stuff out of the way and just write it down. And then that way I can set it all up the same way when they come in. And when I say all, set up all this stuff, I'm talking about basically everything we're talking about today. So anyway, 
Um, be aware of the lighting they like in the room. Be aware of all those things. You know, don't make it too cold for singers. Don't make it too hot in there. You know, don't make it too bright. Don't make it too dark. If they if they're going to be using lyrics, make sure to have some sort of a lamp or a stand with a clip-on lamp is always really useful. Uh, I think that's very preferred because the lamp uh, it's just for the music. In my case, I find that most singers like just a lamp or two on in the entire room. Um, not much light at all. I usually will have a clip-on stand, a clip-on light for the music stand. A lot of them like to sing with the lyrics in front of them, just sort of as a safety net, and so they can make notes on certain lines, certain words, uh, you know, change words if need be. So you're trying to create an environment. Uh, I, maybe you guys remember the show that I had about mix setup. And if you're on the uh, if you're on the mailing list, then you got the video that I sent out about that and um or you should have gotten it if you didn't get it and you signed up recently please email me i can send it to you on the mix setup video and on other shows we've talked about mix setup i i constantly talk about creating a comfort zone in in the daw to remove as many technical factors as possible you know making sure that the tracks are named and that they're color coded so that your brain doesn't have to work hard at all in the mix you can just focus on you know the creative side of things reading track names and trying to figure out what stuff is and trying to finish edits while you're mixing that's that's technical stuff that you should complete all before you mix similar thing happens when you're trying to record vocals all this stuff is just technical nonsense that you know should really be done before the vocalist gets there so that when they show up they just don't have to worry about anything they just sing their song they don't have to even worry, like, it's cold in here, or my headphone mix doesn't sound right, or I need some water. Like, all that stuff should be taken care of. So, in my opinion, set the lights to a decent starting point. You know, lights down low. Buy a clip-on light for a music stand. Buy a music stand if you don't have one. Make sure you have a microphone stand that can get out of their way, which is something kind of overlooked. I have these big atlas stands you know on wheels these huge stands with long boom arms and those are amazing for doing vocals because you can put the base of the stand like six feet away from them and then extend the boom arm all the way over to their face which means this area in front of them is totally free for music stands or for their hands or whatever they don't feel like anything's in front of them you know like a stand that they're going to knock over the mic is hanging from above and so they have just sort of whole area in front of them to feel like they've got room to move um, that's a big thing that I've noticed. Vocalists don't want to feel confined. Um, it's very uncomfortable for vocalists to sing in a closet or in a booth that's small. I'm just going to clear that up once and for all. The myth of the booth is has been you know, propagated for a long time, partly because people see guys in sound, you know, sound booths, vocal booths at big studios, but what they don't realize is that those rooms are actually much larger than they appear visually. They're just heavily treated. So those rooms might be... I don't know, 20 by 15 uh, by with a 12 for 15 foot ceiling, but they're heavily treated. So the room is actually not small. It's just treated heavily. And so that room does sound good. I mean, you could track drums in it. Um, it it'd be really dead, but you could. And that's not all the time, but, you know, just an example. And a lot of people try to get good vocal sounds in a closet. And, okay, you might be able to get a good vocal sound, but will you get a good vocal performance by having your singer crammed in a tiny little space? Some people get claustrophobic, you know? Some people feel, like, anxiety when they're in a small space like that. 
like if possible, put them in a decently large space, you know, that, that can sound good. Um, singers just sing well when they're in a, a, a decent sized space and when they have room to move around, they don't feel cramped. Um, usually when I set up for a vocalist, like I said, I set up the stand, the big Atlas stand, Usually to the right, I set up a small little table or stool with a water bottle and, uh, you know, sometimes two water bottles, room temperature, and never do cold water for singers. Again, you don't want to seize up the the vocal cords, the vocal folds. You don't want to make the throat constrict at all. So you want lukewarm or maybe slightly warm water. Generally, vocalists don't want warm drinks while they're singing sometimes, but lukewarm, just room temp water. You know, have some available for them. Don't make them bring their own. If they want to bring their own tea or water or whatever, go for it. But have some available for them. Um, You know, have a stool. Also, have a chair for them to sit down in between takes. It's really important that they have a chance to rest between takes. You want them to feel like everything they have is there. And in most cases, that is music stand, music stand light, water bottle, chair, you know, and they're obviously their mic. And um, some other things that I have seen people do in the past, some people like to have the vocalist sort of far away from me in terms of like where I'm sitting in the control room. Like some people will put the vocalist sort of right in front of the glass or like, you know, maybe six feet away from the glass on their side. Sometimes um, it, it might be better to have them farther away so they can't really see my facial expression. They can't really see their face. You know, I can't see theirs. Um, it's not so like we're, you know, 10 or 15 feet from each other. It's more like, oh yeah, he's back there singing 30 feet away. Um, sometimes you want to see their, uh, vocal, you know, the, the way that they're moving, the way that they're facing the mic, etc. That makes sense. Other times though, uh, I find that usually when I record vocals, when I'm looking into the room, they're actually facing my left. So their face is looking left. Uh, and I'm looking at their profile. And I like to set up mics like this because they can look at me when I'm talking to them, but when they're singing, they're not looking at me. Okay, They don't even really see me out of the corner of their eye. Maybe a little, but they it's mostly they're looking forward, they're looking at the mic, they're looking into the rest of the room, you know, at the drums or at the whatever. And so positioning them is really important too. And it's, I mean, this is all, it might seem ridiculous to be analyzing it this much, but it's not. It really isn't. I mean, as a vocalist myself, I understand that being in a studio can be kind of intimidating. And especially being in somebody's studio that you don't know. I mean, if you're recording vocals yourself, you just kind of go for it. But if you're recording other people, it's it's kind of hard to, like I said, bury your soul with someone that you don't really know that well. So usually, you know, you're doing vocals kind of late in a project, so that's good, but sometimes you haven't had really much time with the artist to sort of get to know them, get to know how they sing, trust them, them trust you, etc. So, uh, you know, you have to make them as comfortable as possible so they perform, you know, like you're not even there. That's the point, is they, you need to be you know, not there. I know some people have gone so far as to put a little bit of a curtain or a partition on the studio window so that the singer can't be seen and I can't be seen while the performance is happening so that they're in their own little world. That makes sense too. 
Um, I know some people that face the vocalist opposite. I don't like doing that because they have to turn around. And sometimes, like, their headphone cables get coiled up if they turn left or turn right, you know. So I usually put them at a 90-degree angle for me, perpendicular, and uh, so they can just turn their head to the left and see me. And so if I'm talking to them or whatever, they'll look. So their position, you know, again, the lighting, the humidity, the temperature... All this stuff matters. It really does. Having water, having a chair there, having a music stand there, having some paper, having a pen. Just think about it. You know, think about what they'd need. Think about everything they'd need. I mean, if you're a guitar player, think about if someone said, okay, you can't bring any equipment to the session. What do you want me to get for you? Uh, maybe some extra strings, some picks. Uh, I like these type picks. I want a capo. I might need this, uh, pe- pencil and paper, maybe some, you know, headphones, of course. I need maybe a chair, a couple pedals. I mean, they'd have a list of things that they would need to really perform their best. And singers do too, but they don't really, they won't really tell you. Um, so you kind of have to prepare the studio for them. Again, in most cases, you want to make the studio feel like they've died and gone to heaven. You know, like I said, all those factors are really important for setup. And uh, when it actually comes to finding the right mic for the singer, that's something totally different. But we can get through that too. So basically, what I've found the best way to find the right mic for a singer is to set up basically, you know, your go-to mics. And I say mics because you really should have at least a few. I mean, I know some of you will just have one, you know, maybe one good mic or like kind of one of each kind, like, you know, a dynamic mic, maybe a... Uh, a single like vocal mic, like a condenser, maybe a small diaphragm mic for acoustic guitar or something. But if you're recording yourself, that's fine. That's totally fine. You should make sure that that mic is the right one for you. But um, if you're recording other people, you gotta have a couple of vocal mics. And I and I recommend trying to find vocal mics based on a couple of factors. One is brightness and clarity. You know, clarity up in the in the high frequency. Another is handling. You know, uh, SPL handling mic phones that can handle really loud vocalists and likewise microphones that are sense very sensitive to handle intimate vocalists and also uh, in the in the sort of shape of the mids and lows um, some sort of Neumann-esque mics are more mid forward uh, others are brighter some AKG mics are pretty flat and kind of boring um, there's I mean and that's I'm not saying anything bad about either of those companies they both have mics in both ranges but you get the point For example, a Shure SM7, which is what I'm talking on right now, is a great vocal mic for some people. Even on, you know, finished albums, it's been used on hundreds and hundreds of albums, thousands of albums, as the main vocal mic. Even Michael Jackson used this mic over many, many other mics. He could have recorded with any mic he ever wanted, and he used this mic many, many, many times. This is a $350 mic. It's uh, not very bright. It's got a nice low end. It's a dynamic mic, and it needs a really good preamp to sound good, and it needs a really good uh, compressor usually. It's not super sensitive. You can't really get away with super quiet stuff, but if it's a, a loud rock vocalist, it can work great. So if you have something like this, and then maybe you have something maybe middle of the way, something like a solid-state mic, um, you know, a 414, uh, or a, um, I mean, there's a handful of some, some of those Shure mics, like the KSM32 is a nice vocal mic. Uh, and then maybe you have a, a, a tube mic, like um, anything, any sort of tube mic you can imagine. Something kind of warm and fat, maybe something a little more mid-forward, like a U47 style that's pretty mid-forward. Or maybe you could have something like a, a U67 style that's 
a little mid forward, but it's also not uh, it, it's it's less boomy than a 47 and not as bright. Uh, there's I mean there's I'd hate to use those U titles, but I'm just trying to make a point that having a tube mic is always useful. And then uh, usually you have a mic that's a little brighter, something essentially ordering a couple of mics, three to five microphones. Uh, I usually set up five. I have this sort of set that I like. I sort of order them in terms of their sound. So I start with sort of the dullest mic and sort of work my way up. I usually start with the SM7. The SM7 has actually some little EQ switches on the back. And so you can modify some things, but I'll start with that mic. I have a handful of other mics that I'll try. Kind of depends on the vocalist. I'll set up, you know, five usually on different stands. And what I do is I have the singer pick a song uh, that, in I mean, if they're doing one song, obviously I have them sing that song. But I have the singer, if we're doing an album, I have them pick a song that is generally sort of close to the extremes of their voice. So either one that's really mellow or one that's uh, really strong. Because that's really where a microphone will shine or be obviously heard if it's the right one or not. If they're just kind of singing, like blowing it off, just kind of like, ah, whatever, we're just getting a mic check, it's not going to tell you what you need to know. You need something that's going to push them. And singing strong or singing quiet, both of those things are hard to do. Most of the time, I go with the song that is strong. Because as, as a microphone diaphragm flexes with the singer... Um, it will really sort of tell you which one will be able to handle that singer. So I would go for safety and pick a strong song for them. Um, have them sing something strong. I mean, of course, if that's the type of singer they are. Otherwise, have them sing something not strong. And and the mics will really be pretty apparent to you. And uh, I've said this before in other shows, the vocal is one of the few things in a mix that you can trust in solo. Um, you know, you can't really trust a lot of things in the mix in solo. It's not really about how it sounds in solo. It's about how it sounds as a whole mix. But a vocal should sound good in solo. Why? Because it's so familiar to us. It's so important to the mix in not every case, in every single song with a vocal. The vocal's important. I mean, our ear, we know what an over-EQ'd vocal sounds like. It It's pretty obvious. You can't get away with crazy EQ on a vocal most of the time without it starting to sound bad. If you want like a pure signal path, you want to make sure the vocal sounds good in solo. What I recommend is having the singer um, sing a, like a verse and a chorus and maybe a bridge. Uh, don't make them sing the whole song or it'll take forever. Just have them sing, you know, the first minute and a half. Or something. Some wherever they can sing a big part. If they only sing big in the bridge, have them sing the bridge. You know, have them sing for a good thirty seconds or a minute, and then do that for every single mic. Try as you uh, try as you might to level match them in their headphones and level match them in the computer. And then uh, as you're listening, um, after they do that for each mic, then listen to them in solo. Listen to each one. Turn the speakers up, turn them down, listen on headphones if you have to. Find the one that really sounds the most like them. What I usually do is I narrow it down to two. I narrow it down to my favorite, and then I try to narrow it down to their favorite. So I want I, I have them listen to it, and I say, you know, which one do you like the best? Which one do you think sounds the most like you? Sometimes I don't really get much of a response. They're like, I don't know, they all kind of sound the same to me. That's okay. Then just pick your favorite. But... 
a lot of times um, singers actually kind of get into it at this point because this is like their moment to shine. Like guitar players have had this whole time to be like, you know, into guitar amps and into tones and pedals and guitars and all this. And so singers finally seem to step up, at least in my experience, and they really get into it like, okay, play this one back for me again. And they listen to them. And nine times out of ten, we pick we pick the same one. Um, because they are looking for what sounds like them. And um, the times that we don't, usually what I do then is, you know, if they pick one that's unexpected to me, or another common thing that sometimes people will do is they'll just pick the brightest one, because they're like, it sounds so clear. It's like, yeah, of course it sounds clear, but it doesn't sound full. It doesn't sound warm on your voice or whatever. So sometimes you can't always trust that. But the next thing that I usually do is I, regardless, I, I take the two top picks and I then try to sort of shoot out just between those running through some compressors. So up until this point, I've just done the raw vocal. And that's great and all, but how the vocal sounds in the end will be determined by compressors because I always compress vocals. It doesn't matter what it is. I always compress vocals to some degree, even if just a little bit, because vocals are so, so dynamic. One of the most dynamic instruments that we have and especially if you're doing a, a rock song or a pop song, the vocals just cannot be, you know, 30 dB of dynamic range. Uh, they just can't have that. So I will run through some compressors. Usually uh, I've got a handful of compressors that I can use. My favorite at the moment is the Retro 176. Uh, it sounds incredible, absolutely amazing. And so... What I'll do is I'll run the vocal through some compressors and I'll start to get a sort of a preliminary vocal sound and see how, once through a compressor, these vocal mics start to sound because it will change. Some will get brighter, uh, you know, usually they get a little more aggressive. And so the mic that was bright might not sound good or it might sound better. It really depends on the singer. Um, and again, an important question to ask them is, which one is your favorite? Which one do you like more? Which one sounds better in the headphones? Which one is the easiest to sing with? Stop you know, thinking so much about you and about the mix and about what you're hearing. And actually, I mean, talk to them. Ask them what they think. Uh, this vocals are a really personal time when it comes to singers. And yes, at the end, you are the sound engineer, you are the producer, you are the mixer um, for this project. But again, if they are comfortable, if they feel like they sound good in the headphones, if they feel like, man, I sound really good right now or whatever, they'll be more confident, they'll sing better, they'll hear themselves better. They'll, you know, not blame me for anything. You know, they'll feel better about the whole day. I want singers. I mean, my goal is for singers to be like, wow, I love how my voice sounds. I love that mic or whatever. I want them to say things like that. If they're not saying that, then maybe I'm not doing something right. Maybe I didn't find the right mic. I want them to be impressed at their own voice. So, well, like I said, we go through the song five times with the one with each mic pick the top two, then run those two through compressors. Now, I'm not trying to get it, you know, just squashed or anything, but I do compress it decently because I want to see kind of how it handles being pushed on this particular song, on this particular singer, on this particular band or whatever. And um, then we do another verse and chorus, same type section. 
uh, 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. And we then listen to those compressed, roughly compressed the same amount. Again, I try to be as close as possible to affect as few variables as possible in, in terms of level. So I want to make sure the preamp's getting the same level roughly and that in their headphones, it doesn't sound really any louder or quieter. Uh, and then after the fact, I try to make sure their level matched as well so that, you know, they're not listening to the louder one and saying, yeah, that one's so much better. We really want to hear which one sounds good. And one trick that I like to do is, um, I solo the vocal and I just crank the speakers. I mean loud, like louder than you should on a vocal. And if it still sounds good, really loud, this is one of the few things that I say. I mean, vocals are an exception to so many things. I say constantly in podcasts about mixing and in my book, you know, don't mix too loud. You don't need to mix loud. Mix quiet. If it sounds good quiet, it'll sound good loud. And I also say things like don't use the solo button. Well, vocals are a big exception to the rule. They should sound good every way possible. They should sound good loud and quiet and, you know, in mono and in in stereo. They should sound good off to your right side in a random speaker from your laptop. They should sound good everywhere. And a big part of that is getting the right mic for the singer. And when you do, you don't really have to do much to it. For example, in the last vocal session I did, I used, um, ended up using a Michael Jolly microphone, which uh, I've got some more info about him I'll have in another show, but uh, Michael Jolly modifies microphones, and if you have any microphones from companies like um, Octava or Nady or MXL, he does incredible work to mi- mod- modify those and make them sound a lot better. Anyway, I actually ended up with one of his mics on a vocal, which was kind of surprising. Uh, we were work. We had five mics up, and we tried them all. And the singer finally settled on one, and he was kind of like, "Yeah, I think it sounds pretty good." And I was like, "Hey, I've got one more mic to try. I haven't used it in a, on a vocal in a while, but I guess let's try it." I put it up. It was a Michael Jolly microphone, and uh, we ran it through the same compressor chain we'd been running through because at that point we'd gone through our five and picked our top two, and then we picked our top one. But I was like, "You know what? I'm still not convinced." And he was just kind of like, "Yeah, it's okay." I put up the Michael Jolly microphone and uh, ran it through the same compressor and everything, and he started singing the verse and the chorus. And and both of us, as soon as the take was done, you know, he looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, that sounds really damn good. And he was like, yeah, I love it. I love it. It sounds awesome. And so, I mean, it was obvious to both of us immediately. We didn't even have to say anything, and it was very clear that that was the right mic for his voice. And... So that's sort of the lesson here is that every singer, you know, is, I mean, they're not created equal in terms of their tone. I mean, vocal tone is so signature to every single human being. And so that's one big argument for having a lot of microphones is finding one that works. Now, you can't just go through you know, 30 mics until you find one, but you got to, over time, you know, you'll have a collection that you understand. You know, you don't, don't just buy equipment you don't really understand. I mean, un- learn about it. Understand how it sounds. Try it on a lot of things. Experiment with it. Don't just buy a mic and call it your vocal mic. Um, I mean, unless, of course, like I said, it's for you, then just make sure it's the right one. But if you, again, if you're doing this for other people, you got to have options because you could miss out on something big. If we didn't try that other mic, you know, he would probably just feel that his vocals were okay, and so would I, and I'd have to do a bunch of work to him in the mix. So... Moral of the story here, do you know what I did to his vocal in the mix? I put some reverb on it, and I put a de-esser.
and that's it. There's no compression in the mix. There's no EQ in the mix on the vocal. It is straight dry. And the only EQ that I added on the way in, I boosted, let's see here, I have it written down. I boosted a, a shelf starting at 60 hertz. It goes, the shelf's real wide. It seems to go up to maybe, I don't know, like 200. So a little low shelf by 1.5 dB. And I put a high pass filter on at 60 hertz. And that's it. That's the only EQ that was added, and it was added beforehand um, on the preamp. I ran into a TubeTech CL1B compressor doing just light tapping, and then I run into I ran into a Retro 176 compressor doing a little more compression, and that was the vocal chain, and it sounded incredible. And I didn't have to do anything into it, to it in the mix other than a de-esser, which I just I send teams seem to always do. I just s's bother me and getting too s. I even put de-essers on my on this show because I'm bothered by s's. I don't like them being too loud and they're distracting to me. So, um, one more important factor that we need to talk about in terms of the vocalist is their headphone mix. Their headphone mix is something that is so overlooked. It's so simple to do. It really, really is. It's so simple to do. The first thing I want to mention about headphone mixes is the question that I've had, I've gotten uh, once or twice, and the question is, should they be singing to a finished mix or just whatever? Do they care? And I swear, if you ask them, they'll either say, I don't care, or yeah, I'd like a finished mix. So that doesn't really help you. Um, most of the time, I find that singers sing better when the mix sounds pretty good. Ideally, when the mix at least has space for them, um, you know, even if you don't mix it a lot and you just did volumes and pans, as long as there's a frequency space for them, you know, there's not too much in like the 200 range, there's not too much in like the 1K range, there's not too much in like the 5K range, they'll be able to hear themselves. Uh, but um, I highly recommend setting up the headphone mix beforehand yourself, putting on the headphones going in front of the mic, and you can always adjust their level, but just making sure that it sounds good in their headphones is really important. So make sure the headphone level's not going to blast them away. Make sure it's not too quiet, not too loud. They can, you know, they can always adjust things later, but that's really important. If they want anything specific, make sure to tell them. Tell them, hey, if you need anything from the mix, if you need more, you know, metronome, if you want the metronome at all, if you want more kick drum, if you want more snare, just tell me, you know. I can give you whatever you need. Another thing is some guys like to have effects on their voice while they sing. So the easiest way that I've found to do this, while you're monitoring through a track, you know, send it to a reverb and they'll be able to use it while singing. Uh, and you can push it through their headphone mix. Usually not something crazy. I usually go for a plate, a sort of a dark plate, maybe around a second, not too long. And uh, I just have it on a fader readily available when I do vocals, just in case they want a little bit of it. Um, sometimes I just put it on there anyway. It, it just seems to help kind of give their vocal a little bit, bit of a space. Again, you're trying to make them feel comfortable, feel confident, feel like their voice sounds good. You want them to feel good about the day. It, because if, if a singer is feeling good, like, wow, I nailed that, then they'll keep nailing it. I mean, and that's just the point. Their confidence is highly dependent on the environment, how they feel they sound, how they think everything sounds together. It really is. It's, it's a lot more of that sort of pressure than like guitar players or drummers. Because for guitar players or drummers, they're just kind of like, yeah, I played that well, or no, I didn't play that too well, or let's take it again. And they don't get so personal about it, but singers, 
um, singers tend to get more personal about it. If if they screw up a line really bad, it it affects them mentally. Whereas drummers or guitar players, it doesn't really affect them as much. They're just like, ah, whatever, I screwed up. But vocalists will, you know, it'll slowly eat away at them as the day goes on. So you got to be real careful. You want them to constantly feel like they're killing it. Um, even if they're not really killing it, you want them to feel like they are. So if it takes a little bit of reverb, if they need to crank their voice, um, be aware that some singers think they need a lot of their voice. Some singers think they don't want a lot of their voice. Uh, A couple things to note about that. If a singer is um, sounding weak, uh, sounding like they're holding back, they probably have too much of themselves in their headphones. And if a singer is sounding uh, stressed, like they're singing too hard, they probably don't have enough of themselves in, them head- in their headphones. Often if a singer is sounding is singing sharp, uh, their headphone level's not right. It kind of depends on the person. Sometimes it means they have too much. Sometimes it means they have too little. Um, usually if they're singing flat, they don't have enough of themselves. That's just the case, usually. Or the music is not uh, mixed well enough for them to hear the fundamentals of the chord changes. That's another thing. They need to, you need to be real careful that the mix has very clear low-end, very clear mid-range information so they can hear those chord changes and what the actual pitch is supposed to be. It's really important. You know, if you have a bass track and, you know, there's some tuning issues with it or intonation issues, you know, you need to fix that before they come in. You need to edit them out or, you know, tune them or whatever you got to do. You know, you want the track to be as in tune as possible because you want them to sing to the track. So I highly recommend doing any detailed stuff like that before the vocalist comes in. The other thing about their vocal level is... um, you can kind of play with it a little bit as they're singing and try to find the spot where they really slide into the groove. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to control, which is another reason why I use compression in the analog domain. Now, I love compressors. I love analog compressors. They sound incredible to me, and they sound way better than plugins to me. Some of you might just be thinking, oh, yeah, well, I can get that same sound. But can you get... Uh, you know, the ease and convenience of having a singer be able to hear themselves the entire song um, and feel like their voice is up front and it sounds good, it sounds finished to them. You know, you can't get that if you're not using a plug-in on the way in or a hardware on the way in. You can't get that. Uh, and if you use a plug-in on the way, on the way in, you're probably going to have some latency issues. You don't want that at all. You want it to feel upfront, immediate, um, right in front of their face. They want, again, you want their voice to sound as good as possible. Um, if you're feeling nervous about it, you know, and you don't want to record with compression on the way in, get a mic splitter. You know, get a mic splitter that you can split off from the preamp, or I should say a line splitter, and split off the mic into two feeds. Record one that has no compressor and record one with a compressor. Even if you ditch the one with the compressor and you only record the uncompressed one, send the compressed one to their headphone mix. Go buy a cheap compressor like the FMR RN, uh, what is it, RNC, really nice compressor, or the DBX160 and, and put that to their headphones so that they can hear themselves. Again, you're trying to create the perfect ideal environment where they can hear themselves, they're comfortable, they've got water, they've got a place to sit, the lights are perfect, they're not staring me in the face, they're looking sort of off to the side, the humidity in the room's great, the temperature in the room's great. All of these factors make a big difference. They really do. And, you know, their headphone mix sounds great. Again, check it yourself. Put on their headphones and listen to what they're hearing. 
And be aware if they're the type of singer that wants to um, pull off one cup on the headphones. It's not because they just like to do it. It's because they can't hear themselves. So consider buying a compressor to allow them to hear themselves more. And again, if you don't want to do that, then, you know, record them in parallel. Spend a little extra more and get a line splitter. Um, Record them in parallel. Record the dry vocal. Record them both. Blend them together. I do that a lot. When I'm not sure about the vocal compression, when it's sounding like, you know, an A minus to me, I'm like, okay, it sounds good, but just, I'm not sure. It might be too much or it might be too little. I, I'll, if those cases come up, I will record uh, a dry vocal in addition. And again, this is all in the same take. It's split from a line splitter where I'm recording a dry vocal and a compressed vocal. And I can just work with that later. Now, when it comes to actually recording the vocals, there are really two or three main philosophies. The one is to get full takes uh, of the song straight through from the top. The other is to sort of do it in sections, do a verse, then do it again, then do it again until you get it right, and then do a chorus. And uh, the third is sort of the way that I have adopted it, and it's sort of the hybrid between the two. I always start with a full take. I always start with just one full take. I say, give it your your best, you know, we're going to do a full take all the way through. And then I'd sort of listen to it and try to decide, you know, is this the type of song that really needs full takes? Like, is it, is it really dynamic? Um, if it's a really dynamic song, it probably needs full takes because, or at least pretty big blocks, you know, like verse chorus, uh, verse pre-chorus chorus, verse pre-chorus chorus, verse bridge chorus chorus, you know, like blocks, big blocks rather than just, you know, verse or like half first half of the verse. Um, because if it's super dynamic, it's going to have a hard time sort of feeling like you got the right dynamics in each section. Um, Now, a lot of pop music, a lot of rock music is not that dynamic anymore. So you can kind of get away with whatever you need. A lot of times what I will do is I, I, I always record, you know, one pass of the whole song. Not only does that show me visually where they sing and what they sing, but it gives me some indication to the dynamics. Um, it gives me some indication to how they're, you know, how they're feeling, how their voice is sounding. Obviously, I can hear them doing the first take, you know. And so then I kind of decide, well, maybe let's get one more full take all the way through, you know, and and let them go for it. Then we'll hit trouble spots. The second time around, I usually try to take notes, things that sounded bad, like, man, that verse wasn't very good, or that chorus was great, but the last line wasn't of the chorus, or, man, that bridge was, uh, you know, almost there. Keep in mind that uh, singers will get exhausted the more takes you do, so don't try to just rattle them on and on and on. Your goal, in my opinion, is to get all of what you need in no more than maybe five takes, um, ideally. So if you do one full take of the song, you know, you only have to do a couple, three, four takes of every of any spots that need help. Sometimes you do need more, you know, for a certain word that's giving them trouble, you need, you know, who knows, 10 takes, 15 takes to get a, a certain word or section right. Just beware of how it sounds together. Listen to it in context, make sure it sounds right, make sure it edits well, um, all the above. So as the singer is, uh, you know, doing their full take, you're taking notes, you're making notes of things that are difficult spots, things that you think you might change dynamically, little bits here and there. And again, that comes over time of just experimentation and learning and seeing what works and um, all that. So after that, 
you'll have them start doing sections like uh, usually I'll start with, um, you know, the chorus or the verse or whatever spots kind of giving me the most trouble and just sort of work backwards from there. I might get a couple extra choruses just in case there's, you know, some wonky lines or whatever. The goal, again, is to not have to have too many takes, but not to have too few where you're backed in a corner because... Again, it's not all about you here. They may say, hey, and it happens all the time, they may email you up and be like, hey, I like everything, but I don't like this, uh, I don't like this word in the chorus. Can you, re- can you find another take? So you're searching through your takes, and you can't find one. They all pretty much sound the same. Well, make sure you make note of that stuff while they're recording. And I highly suggest, it's something I used to not do, and nowadays I'm hooked on doing it. I highly suggest comping the vocal as they're there so as they're recording edit it if they sing a bad line chop it out and then play it back for them play back the first verse have them pick the lines they like try to comp the vocal as you go along it's much easier than trying to you know get a file have 10 different vocal tracks and then try to comp them it's stupid to do it that way um, it makes much more sense to you know just record them all Try to comp it sort of as you go along so that when they hear it back, when they hear back, you don't have to justify with something like, oh, it'll sound good once I sort through the takes. You don't want to have to say that. So just make sure that you're, again, still making them comfortable, making them feel at home, making them feel good about what they're doing, making them feel proud, making their voice sound good, making their headphones sound good. Um, It's all interrelated. Uh, I would highly suggest not doing too many songs in one day for a vocalist. I also would highly suggest making sure that you do take breaks between takes because they need to rest their ears, they need to rest their mouth, their throat. Um, they don't want to push too hard and throw out their voice because then the whole session's ruined. Um, for me, vocal sessions tend to be about two or three songs if we're doing a full album. So we have a lot to try to knock out. Uh, I don't try to do more than that in one day. Generally, I try to do, you know three or four hour vocal session the way I sometimes more sometimes five hours and the way it tends to be structured is you know you do a song that's pretty simple up front not one of the easy ones and then you take a hard one next so you take you do an easy song takes you maybe an hour then the next song is a harder song a real usually the one of one of the hard ones and after that song you take a 30 minute break So first break is like, you know, 10 minutes, something like that. You record the first song, take a 10, and then you record the second song, take a 30. And then you record the third song, which is somewhere kind of in between. Not a hard one, but not not a super easy one. One of the mid mid songs, you know, midway. If you think about how many takes you might have to do, I mean, let's say you had to do five takes of the whole song. And you did three songs. I mean, that's 15 takes. That's like singing a live show. So, I mean, that can be really exhausting. Most singers aren't conditioned to really be able to sing, you know, essentially 40 songs in a row. And and that's all, that's that's four takes on 10 songs. I mean, that's just not really doable. 40 songs in a row is really hard, and I bet you money your client can't do it. I That's not to say that your client might not be able to hit them all in one take, but... Personally, I think it's always good to have at least two takes of something. Um, Even if you feel like they nailed it, there might be that one line that you're like, man, if he had just hit that note better, I wouldn't have to tune him at all. And you could just take it from the other take. So I always recommend doing at least two. Um, Try to get it in, you know, four or five. Try not to do too many because you will wear them out. 
You will wear them out and they'll get frustrated and you don't want that. You want them calm. You want them chill. You want them to realize that it's all going to be fine. Okay. So, um, I hope this show has given you things to think about when it comes to vocal recording. As always, if you have questions or comments, please feel free to email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Also, contact at recordingloungepodcast.com. You can sign up for the newsletter by going to recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up. Um, as of right now, the Recording Lounge website is still under construction. Uh, so I don't have anything up on actual recordinglounge.com yet, but it's coming in the future. Now, uh, other things you can check out are the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash recordinglounge, and the blog, which is recordinglounge.blogspot.com. Go ahead and connect with me however way you want to. I'm on a million different things. Email me. Find me on Facebook. However you want to contact me, go for it. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys. I hope this show has been helpful for you, giving you some out-of-the-box out techniques for recording vocals. I will see you next time.